Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags powered through a slow start to defeat the San Diego Toreros on Thursday evening, winning 92-62 to behind a monster night from Chet Holmgren. I'm going to recap all the fun before a quick discussion about BYU's latest woes ahead of this weekend's battle between the Zags and the BYU Cougars in Provo, all right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube, one of the fastest growing YouTube shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. I appreciate all of you who have listened to a show on YouTube who have shared a link to a show on YouTube, and of course, those of you who have hit that subscribe button. If you are a listener and you have not done that yet, please, please go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. We got a brand new interface on the front page organized by interviews, by type of episode. It's very, very easy way to navigate throughout previous shows. I highly recommend checking it out. All right, so the Zags secured themselves another victory on the back of superstar freshman forward Chet Holmgren. What a monstrous night from the young big in San Diego against the Toreros. So much fun. It was a, it was a bit of a slow start uh, for, for Gonzaga. We talked about that a little bit, I believe, either the most recent Mailbag Monday or maybe the Mailbag Monday before that about Gonzaga's kind of tendency to get off to slow starts this this year, particularly in conference play. Uh, I think part of it is just that these other teams are so juiced and so amped up to play the Zags. They've had this game circled for so long, and they have they probably do more game planning and more video to prepare for this game than they do against other games because winning this, this game is so much more impactful than it would be to defeat other teams in the WCC. So I think perhaps the, the Zags get a little bit surprised by whatever the other team is going to do because they try different things against Gonzaga. In this case, you know, we saw a team coached by Shantae Leggins at UP who, who really tried to push Gonzaga to shoot threes and Gonzaga knocked down 18 of them, took 41 of them. This game was the exact opposite. We'll talk a little bit more about the three-point shooting in the second segment, but I think seeing so many different looks from different teams kind of causes Gonzaga to get off to a bit of a slow start, but Chet Holmgren just took this game over. He had a pair of excellent lob dunks late in the first half, really, really nice plays, went coast to coast with a left-handed lay-in to kind of get this team going. They went into halftime up 14, starting to feel a little bit better, and then Chet had the most ridiculous 98-second burst of basketball that I think I have ever seen anybody have. If you did not, if you missed this game, you will see this clip somewhere. It will be. It was on SportsCenter. It's going to be a YouTube sensation. He was a complete machine for 98 seconds. In that time, he scored 11 points, had one board and one block. He hit three three-pointers and had a really nice acrobatic lay-in. In again, I cannot continue to stress this enough. One minute and 38 seconds. In that span of time, Chet hit three threes, had a rebound, a block, and a lay-in. 11 points put the lead from 16 to 25 in that time frame. 
was just a, an absolute dagger of a game. It probably didn't hurt that the San Diego fans, for some reason, had started a chant, an overrated chant directed specifically at Chut Holmgren. He was already carving them up. It's not like he was having a bad game before this ridiculous 11-point stretch. He was already having a good game, already handling their, their pressure from Terrell Brown, their big man down low already doing good enough work, and then the fans decided to tell him he's overrated, which he is not. If anything, he is overrated. The consensus on most mock drafts lately has been has had him third. I don't see him dropping below third very often. Typically, it's Jabari Smith, Paolo Bancaro, and then Chet Holmgren, Jaden Ivey's in that mix as well. But Chet's hasn't been first or second on the majority of mocks lately. I have a feeling that games like this, performances like this, yes, people will knock it because of the opponent. And to some degree, that is fine to do. It, it is different to do this against USF than it, or excuse me, USD than it is to do it against some of the other teams that Duke and, and Auburn are playing. But it's so clear to me that he has superstar potential. To be able to do that at all is just absolutely ridiculous. He is continuing to find himself in conference play in a way that we we knew that there was another gear to Chet Holmgren. We knew that there was. He, he was being a little deferential early in the year to Drew Timmy. He was still finding his way, finding his role on this offense. He wasn't a guy who came in and said, hey, I need, the, I need touches, I need the ball every possession, I want to dominate by having the highest usage rate in the NCAA. Like, he wasn't going to be that guy. Part of the reason that he was appealing to Mark Few and Gonzaga's staff, and part of the reason he chose to come here, because he was going to be in college for one year, he wanted to win a national championship. And they, the way that he's playing right now, and the way the Zags are playing right now, that looks like a pretty dang attainable goal. But for him to start really emerging, in part because of Drew Timmy's a bit of Drew Timmy actually struggling a bit of his usage rate just coming down. I think teams are really, really prepared for how to stop Drew Timmy, and that has allowed Chet Holmgren to flourish. I think there, there's, there's more complicated than that, but I think at its baseline, at its most simple, teams have, to, especially WCC teams, have to figure out how to stop one of those guys. It's hard for them to stop both. Right now, we're seeing teams try really hard to figure out how to prevent Drew Timmy from getting comfortable, prevent him from making his post moves, prevent him from getting comfortable shots. That has allowed Chet Holmgren to just be a menace, and he has taken over in a ridiculous way. I think, again, it's more complicated than that, but at baseline, that's, that's kind of what has just been going on. You can't stop both of them. Teams have picked their poison. They're trying to make Chet beat them. Chet is beating them. Simple as that. He wasn't the only Zag who had a good game, though. Uh, we could easily talk about him for the entire 30 minutes, but we will not do that. Uh, Andrew Nemphard deserves some credit for his phenomenal performance in this game. He proved exactly why he is on the Bob Cousy Award list for the best point guard in the country. He had 14 points and 7 assists with just one turnover in this game. To be clear, the University of San Diego Toreros had 4 assists. In this entire game, Andrew Nembhard had seven assists and only one turnover. He also grabbed four rebounds. He was a very, very smooth seven for 11 from the field. No three-point attempts from Nembhard. Again, we'll talk about the three-point shooting a little bit later. It was kind of an odd one for the Zags. But again, seven for 11 from the field with one turnover, four boards, seven assists. A remarkably efficient game from Andrew Nembhard. And finally, of course, cannot go without talking about Anton Watson, who had a phenomenal game coming off the bench for the Zags, 11 points, three rebounds, and three assists. He shot five for seven from the field. Again, highly efficient, consistent, 
a good scoring option, a menace defensively. He's just wreaks havoc whenever he's in that half court trap, the full court trap, even in just regular half court defense, man to man. He has got such quick hands, the ability to knock the ball loose, physicality to push guys around or not let him, not get pushed around himself, even by guys who may be bigger than him. It's just been a remarkable stretch for him in the conference play. Even before conference play, he really picked it up. The for the last few non-conference games and then kind of carried that with him into conference play and has just been incredible the last eight to ten games or so. And that continued here with another really strong performance off the bench. All right, we got more Gonzaga USD talk in the second segment. Going over the five things to watch that I laid out before the game, talking about how those impacted this game. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey Zags fans, this is Andy Patton with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about called GetUpside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas Every time they fill up, just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code SCORE for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. Cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cashback gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get $0.25 per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. That's code SCORE. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still... Talking Gonzaga USD, remarkable performance from Chet Holmgren. I want to say that it is Super Bowl week, which was brought to you by Get Upside, and there's no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On Bengals and Locked On Rams are in LA all week covering the big game. All right, looking at my top five things to watch for this game, we're just going to go through them how they impacted this game against the Toreros on Thursday night. Number one, more Hunter Salas, please. So this unfortunately did not come to fruition. I was talking about how Hunter Salas has gradually earned a bigger role for the Zags. I thought this game would be a good opportunity for him to get up over the 20 into the 25 minute range with the Zags playing BYU at the Marriott Center on Saturday. 
thought it was a good chance for Rasir Bolton and Andrew Nempard to maybe play more in the 24-26 minute range as opposed to their normal 30-31 minutes. Uh, Gonzaga got off to a slow start, as we mentioned, and I think that kind of doomed the ability for some of the reserve guards to play as many minutes as they usually do. In this one, Bolton was 31, Nempard was 30, and Hunter Salas was only 11. That's much lower. I believe he'd been averaging 18 minutes per game over his last eight games. We only saw him for 11 minutes in this one. He had two points on one field goal attempt. He grabbed a rebound. He also picked up two fouls, which probably did not help his ability to stay on the court longer. An unfortunate thing, again, it wasn't like a bad game for Hunter Salas, really. He just didn't get as much playing time as we would have hoped. I think we'll probably still continue to see a few games like this periodically, but hopefully the general rule for Hunter Salas going forward is closer to that 20 minutes per game as we get into March. Next up, how did the Zags use Drew Timmy? Yeah, it was another rough one. It was another rough one for Drew. Five for 14 from the field. That is uncharacteristic for Mr. Timmy, one of the most efficient scorers in the nation. He had 13 points. He had eight rebounds. He did not have any assists, any steals, any blocks. Just a quiet night from Drew. And I know we're we're in a bit of a a stretch, a lull period for Drew Timmy right now. It has certainly curtailed his National Player of the Year hopes which, you know, is not the, something that should be the most important thing to be focused on, I guess is the best way to put that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter whether he wins National Player of the Year. Uh, I think at this point it's it's pretty unlikely that he's going to. I, I thought that even, even before this bit of a lull period, just with how good some of the other guys are playing. You know, Johnny Davis has slipped a little bit, but he's still incredible for Wisconsin. Kofi Coburn had a monster night recently for Illinois. He's having an outstanding season. Uh, obviously, there's there are multiple other players that are in this conversation as well. Keegan Murray from Iowa is having a great year, uh, and then now Chet Holmgren is is firmly in that conversation again. I, I don't think his scoring output, while it has improved, is still probably not enough for him to realistically be in that conversation as well. But you know, it's it's hard when you have another candidate for that award uh, on your roster and sharing sharing the scoring load with you. And I think, like I said, we've seen teams really focus on trying to stop Drew Timmy. And that has, uh, it has worked in the sense that, you know, he shot five for 14 in this game, obviously had a struggle uh, to get the ball in the hoop, but it didn't work in the sense that the Zags still won by 30 and Chet Holmgren had his career night uh, scoring 23 points. Uh, I would like to see Drew Timmy obviously start to to find his groove. Uh, It's important that both these guys are firing on all cylinders when they get into March. Right now, Chet is playing the best basketball of his career. Drew is not. Uh, I think for the Zags to win a national championship, they both need to be on their A games. Uh, I don't have any concern that that's going to happen necessarily. I'm not worried about Drew Timmy. I think he's still obviously a phenomenal basketball player, and he's going to find his groove before then. But right now, it's nice that we have somebody to pick up the slack, I guess. Number three, how does Gonzaga look beyond the arc? So yeah, so the San Diego Toreros did not pressure Gonzaga to shoot a lot of threes. That wasn't really a part of their game plan. Uh, and so they didn't. <laughs> they only shot 12. The last time they played a game, they made made 18 threes. This game, they only took 12 of them. Now, they made five, which is good for 41.7%, which is pretty dang good. <laughs> it, te- it lowers their season, their conference season average, which is just over 44%, but not by a lot. 42% from three is great. Five for 12 in a game where they score 92 points is always, always going to be okay with me. Always, always fine with me. I've mentioned on this show before that I thought Gonzaga was a bad shooting, three-point shooting team. I've kind of wavered on that feeling and think they're more of an inconsistent three-point shooting team who has obviously been very, very good in conference play. 
in this game, I, I like when they don't have to rely so much on it. In this game, the only player they really relied on from three was Chet Holmgren. We mentioned his ridiculous 98-second stretch. In that stretch, he hit three of the five Gonzaga threes that they hit all game long. So if there weren't that two-minute stretch, Gonzaga would have shot, I believe, without Chet Holmgren at all, they would have shot two for seven from three. So just not not a huge factor in this game, which is fine. If you're a team capable of scoring over 90 points without taking a lot of three-pointers, you should just do that because that's a much higher percentage look around the rim, and Gonzaga was able to get those shots pretty consistently in this one. Uh, you know, Julian Strother, rough night, one for four from three, one of those things where you'd like to see him kind of step into a bit more of the Corey Kispert role where he's pretty consistently knocking down two to three of them per game. He's still young. He's still got the ability to do that. I, I maintain that if he comes back next year, he's going to be one of the best players in the country at his position. But right now, it's still sometimes a little bit rocky, and this was a bit of a rocky game for him. Again, ultimately, Gonzaga was able to shield any of those concerns that popped up because of the monster night that Chet Holmgren had. But having a more consistent presence from beyond the arc is going to be critical when they get into March. Next up, will Gonzaga's assist streak continue? They had a streak of six consecutive games. Five of those six games, they had 20-plus assists. One of them, they had 19. I was wondering if they would get back up over 20 assists per game in this one. They did not quite get there. They had 17 assists as a team. As I mentioned, Andrew Nemhart had seven of them. Uh, the 17 assists are the lowest they've had in a while, but they also only had eight turnovers, and they still scored 92 points. So not having quite 20 assists certainly wasn't a negative factor in this game. USD only had four, which is very startling, only getting four assists in a game. I mean, they scored 62 points, which isn't great, but to score 62 points on four assists is shocking. That is very, very startling stat. I couldn't. I had to reread that when I saw it because I didn't really believe it. Uh, Gonzaga, 17 assists, 8 turnovers, 92 points. None of that is a concern to me. Uh, I don't think it's particularly noteworthy in this game. And then last up, I put Caden Perry minutes. Uh, obviously, we did not see Caden Perry minutes. Uh, he did not play again in this game. He has not played in a long time. He's dealing with some back spasm issues. He had some ankle issues as well. Just unfortunate that the young man hasn't been able to get back on the court. I would like to see him get some more game action this year. I'm not holding my breath that that ends up happening. It hurts their depth. He wasn't playing a significant role in close games, but it was nice to have him available. If Gonzaga needed him, obviously if there was foul trouble or injuries or anything like that in the front court, he was an option to come in and play. Now they're kind of stuck with Ben Gregg as the only option in that situation unless they wanted to play Julian Strother at the four, which I think we could end up seeing if they were really in a pinch. Ben played five minutes in this game. He had two points on one of three shooting. He also had five rebounds in five minutes and a steal. Not a bad night for him. He's still developing. We've talked about that a little bit the last couple of days. I think he's still going to be an integral part of this team's future, but he is not... He's still a freshman, and and we've seen a lot of bigs make that freshman to sophomore year jump where they're really, really good their second year, and I think maybe there was some expectation that Ben would take that leap because he was technically on the roster last year, but he was a high school senior on the roster last year. He's a freshman this year. Hopefully that jump happens next season without Chet Holmgren, potentially without Drew Timmy. Ben Gregg steps into a bigger role and contributes significantly alongside Caden Perry, who will hopefully make that jump as well, although he may be a little bit further behind because of the injury. All right, folks, the Zags are taking on the BYU Cougars on Saturday. BYU hoping to not have a four-game losing streak after losing to San Diego on Thursday, excuse me, San Francisco 
on Thursday. We're going to preview that game, talk about BYU's current woes and what this means for the NCAA tournament. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bilt Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Bilt Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By now you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? But Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes. At home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out all of the sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order at Built.com. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking WCC action for this week. The Zags are headed to Provo, Utah to take on the BYU Cougars at the Marriott Center on Saturday evening. BYU is got their backs well up against the wall. It has been a really, really rough stretch for Mark Pope's squad. They lost to Santa Clara, a game that I think Many people thought would be a bit of a trap game for the Cougars. They don't have a lot of size up front. We've talked extensively about Richard Harward and Gavin Baxter having injuries that have prevented them from playing. It has really hurt the depth up front for BYU. We talked about how Santa Clara with PJ Pipes and Jalen Williams and Yusuf Brankich had the ability to potentially knock them off. They did do that last week. Then the second game of the week last week, BYU played Pacific. Not a game that I think a lot of people thought would be a problem for BYU, but unfortunately that was the case. And they lost to the Tigers of Pacific. Then they got their rematch against San Francisco on Thursday night. San Francisco's hungry. They need an NCAA tournament appearance. They have not made one in decades, decades and decades. It would be really, really great for San Francisco to make it. This was a must-win game for them. If they did not win this game against BYU on the road and got swept by the Cougars, that would have been a maybe not a death sentence for San Francisco, but it would have made it much, much more difficult for them to earn their way into the NCAA tournament. Fortunately for San Francisco, unfortunately for BYU, the Dons found a way to win this one quite handily. They went into halftime up 14, ended up or up 15, ended up winning by 14, 73 to 59 was the final score. It was a great game for USF to go win in the Marriott Center. But man, BYU is just in a free fall right now. Alex Barcella was incredible in this game. He had 25 points on 8 of 13 shooting, 3 from 5 from 3. I mean, a truly epic performance from Alex Barcella. 25 points on 13 field goals, 3 of 5 from 3. The rest of the team didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really bad performance from everybody on BYU's roster not named Alex Barcelo. The rest of the team shot 16 for 42 from the field. The rest of the team shot 0 for 8 from 3. Again, just horrendous shooting from the BYU Cougars right now. They are really, really struggling to put the ball in the hoop. They have no post presence. 
They have Traore, who's very, very good young big, but he's been forced into a much bigger role than they needed him to play because of the injuries up front. The rest of the guards, Seneca Knight is struggling. Caleb Lohner is really struggling to score the basketball. Gideon George had a very rough night for BYU. And then on, on the other side, defensively, they didn't really stop anybody. <laughs> All five of USF scores were in double figures in this game. It was a really balanced scoring attack from the Dons. Todd Golden's squad was very efficient, very good at putting the ball in the hoop. Yusef Masalski, excuse me, the San Diego transfer, who's playing at USF, who had a good game against the Zags. He had 16 points on six of nine shooting. He also grabbed 13 rebounds. Just dominated the glass, dominated the paint against BYU all game long. This game this game was huge. BYU has now lost three games in a row. There's a very good chance, I don't want to jinx anything, knock on wood, but there's a very good chance they will lose four games in a row because I think Gonzaga is going to go into the Marriott Center and win handily against BYU. They beat them badly last time they played each other. I don't think BYU has the horses to really come back and and they may make it more competitive than the last time they played, but I just this doesn't look like a team that's going to win this game. But unfortunately, it's a team that needs to win this game. If you lose four games in a row in the WCC, I'd have to look it up, but I got a feeling nobody has ever has ever made the NCAA tournament after losing four games in a row in the WCC. It's not me trying to knock the WCC. Three of those losses would be not not super bad losses. Gonzaga, obviously, quad one loss. USF, quad one loss. Uh, and then, obviously, San, San, Santa Clara is at least, a, I believe, a quad two loss at this point. So not horrible losses necessarily, but you can't lose four in a row in the WCC. You just can't do it. Frankly, you probably can't do three. You probably can't lose three in a row in the WCC and still make the NCAA tournament. BYU, they already did that. That's already happened. And and with San Francisco having all of this momentum, with St. Mary's establishing themselves as a top 20 team in the country per Ken Palm and playing very well, they struggled against UP last night. St. Mary's did. That probably knocked them down a little bit in the Ken Palm ratings, uh, but they still secured the victory. They still got a win there. So they're still in a good spot to make the NCAA tournament. San Francisco's in a much better spot to make the NCAA tournament. BYU's hanging by a thread. And if they lose to Gonzaga, they even if they go perfect, for the rest of the season, they would have to, they'd have to go perfect for the rest of the year, make the WCC championship. And if they lose there, if they lose to Gonzaga in the title game, but win every other game, maybe, maybe, maybe they sneak in, depending on how the rest of the Mountain West shakes out, depending on how the Pac-12 shakes out, depending on all of that stuff. They're going to be kind of in the hands of every other team. But at this point, if they lose to Gonzaga and they lose any other game, they lose to St. Mary's the next time they play each other. They lose to Santa Clara. They lose an early game in the WCC tournament in Vegas. They're done. I just don't think it's going to happen for them. The dream of the four-bid WCC is still technically alive. I think had BYU beaten San Francisco in this game, that might have killed it because that I think San Francisco would have had a harder time coming back from that, which isn't necessarily fair. I think that BYU, BYU losing this game should be as impactful for them as it would have been for San Francisco. But I think BYU's got a little bit more of a chance, particularly if they can pull off a win against Gonzaga either here or in the WCC tournament. Obviously, if they win in the WCC tournament, they're going to make it. So that's an opportunity for them there. But I, 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 I just... I don't think BYU's got the horses right now. I think they they shot themselves in the foot so significantly that I think their their chances are really really slim. And I think Gonzaga's going to head into the Marriott Center. They're going to do what they did last time. Barcelos maybe going to have himself a good night. Gonzaga tried really hard to stop him last time, and he still had a good night because he's just such an elite shooting player. 
But if even if he has a good game, I don't think BYU's got the rest of the, the roster is not good enough to defeat Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga wins that one. Then BYU's staring down the face of a four-game losing streak in the WCC and their hopes of making the NCAA tournament. Maybe not completely dashed, but pretty dang close. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Heck of a game for the Zags. Heck of a game for Chet Holmgren. We're going to be back on Mailbag Monday next week after this fun game against BYU in Provo on Saturday night. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Finally, thank you again to those of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your next listen, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zag!